ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hello, everyone. Um, there. I think maybe our technology is finally going to play nice, but we'll see. Uh, so, good afternoon or good morning, depending on what time zone you're in. Uh, welcome to Restore Freedom Weekly. I'm Constitutional Attorney Catherine Henry, and this is Liberty Lori, and we are here to talk about government and courts and the Constitution and how to make it all more accessible to you because you, or we the people, uh, need to have this, uh, this knowledge in order for our government to function properly. So. Um, Hello to Big Bad John on YouTube and Stairs at Plants. Um, hello to John on YouTube and the Liberty Cause. Uh, so today, oh, hey, it's going to work better if I probably share the little screen. Um, but before we do that, um, I, um, I think I didn't even double check. I think it's two, uh, two weeks from now. I think it's for the Memorial Day week. Um, that we are not going to be having a show that week to give us a little time off and to prepare for whatever else is coming. Um, so keep that in mind that I think that's in two weeks. But uh, at any rate, um, I wanted to... Do you know what? Yeah. Uh-oh. What? I was going to say, maybe we might want to push it out a week because of your travels. Uh, well, I was potentially going to go live with a uh, very famous Mr. Joe Moss from... Um, oh, that's right. That's right. Never mind then. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, that'd be a good idea. But uh, anyway, so um, oh, shoot, what was I going to say? Um, Sorry, I distracted you. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this has nothing to do with the law, but just being good Christian stewards of our resources and being good examples uh, out in our communities and in our own families, because that's also something I'm hoping I'm encouraging and empowering you to do. Um, and that is to, uh, this one is to, uh, this is kind of like a get involved challenge, I guess, but uh, nothing to do with the law. So it's not our official get involved challenge of the week. If you are a mom, first of all, raise your hand. Should be at least two hands on the screen. Um, <laughs> although your hand didn't show up. <laughs> but if you are a mom and you're listening uh, or watching, live or later on uh, on a recording or podcast platform, I'm going to challenge you to do one or two things uh, from now on to be a better parent. So again, nothing to do with the law, just what can you, I, I know for me, I get so focused. All my time is spent on the law, the constitution, the government, fighting the garbage uh, that it's hard for me to take the appropriate amount of time to be able to just spend time with my husband or with my kids or, you know, whatever, being more creative about homeschool assignments or something like that, right? So what is at least one, maybe two, uh, but nothing too overwhelming that you won't be able to stick with, things that you can do as a mom to be a better mom? For me, uh, I never used to swear and i've been swearing a lot recently so i think it's something to do with my new friends but anyway um <laughs> i need to not swear and that influences yeah and uh and i want to lump in with that no name calling now i'm not sure if i actually do that you know outwardly in public or if it's just when i'm venting with my family at home and i'm like girl that guy was an idiot you know but at any rate it's not a good example so uh, those are the things that I would like to do. Now, if you are not a mom, maybe you are married to the mother of your children, or uh, maybe you're single, but you have an ex-wife who had gave birth to your children, or uh, you don't have any kids, but you have a mom that is close to you. Maybe your sister has kids, or you know your, um, your mom is close to you. You don't have siblings. You don't have kids of your own. Whatever. To a mom in your life, 
if you're not a mom yourself, for a mom in your life, I'm going to challenge you that between now and Sunday on Mother's Day, that you find a way that you can best support that mom reasonably. You know, if you if you're not a millionaire, you can't uh, offer to pay, you know, buy buy her a, a new car so she can transport the kids around. Or if you're not physically near, you can't offer to babysit a whole bunch and give her some free time or whatever, right? But there are ways you can help, even if you don't have a lot of money and even if you live many, many, many miles away. And I was a single mom for a lot of years, but even now I'm not a single mom. Um, I could always use help. I would love to have somebody helping me grade homeschool assignments or, you know, just, you know, organize play dates with their kids or whatever, right? I mean, we can all use support. So anyway, not related to the law, just something I wanted to throw out there. And in some respect, because I want accountability too. Um, so, hey, if you guys see me swearing, let me know. And uh, maybe I'll put a 10, 10 cents in a jar for Emma and inflation. I think it's $10 now. I don't have that (laughs) because of inflation. Uh, 10 cents will do. Uh, It's steep enough. I'm I'm a cheapskate. So man, if I have 10 whole cents that I'm having to put in a jar, that would (laughs) be enough incentive for me. Um, All right. So, um, and Sarah's at plants was focusing on dads too. Um, Yes. Dads uh, need support and encouragement. They also need to be better examples for their kids. All the same stuff that I said for moms, but guess what? Mother's Day is first. It's first for a reason. So we're going to focus <laughs> on moms this month, and uh, and it'd be a good idea if, if we did the same thing next month as well. But I might have to rope in Mr. Henry on that to uh, to lead the charge, uh, being that he's the dad in our house. I agree. I agree. And, you better be the only dad in our house because I'm not ready to be a grandma for any time. (laughs) All right. (laughs) With that being said, um, Lori, did you have anything that we need to cover before I throw you in timeout? Not that I can think of. Okay. Just don't come back with a third pair of glasses on because that will really throw me off. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's see. Show and hide. All right, so I even get to make my settings a little different here with a video cut. So today it's a topic that I'm hoping won't actually take a whole lot of time, and I want to be able to answer a lot of your questions. I really appreciated the impromptu nature of Acura Amanda having reached out to me last week, I think it was last week, right before the show, and saying, hey, can I come on your show and ask some like real-life case questions? Uh, And it was something that we could work through some issues together. I constantly have people reaching out to me that know me from a variety of circumstances. People I went to church with, you know, 15 years ago, or people I went to high school with, or people, whatever. Uh, I have lots of people that reach out to me and wanting me to ask, uh, answer all kinds of legal questions. And uh, it's very hard for me to do that. Well, number one, it's kind of not fair because I'm not asking them to do work for me for free. Um, that's kind of what's being expected of me, but, um, it's also, it's hard on my time and my thought process because I'm always busy trying to work on all these other projects to benefit everyone in the fight for freedom. So what I'd like to do though, is encourage the questions to come here, uh, live. Now we can try to work with questions that are coming live if you're watching us through rumble, but as of right now, I don't believe the comments are yet able to pull over into any streaming software. Why is this ironic? Because Rumble requires us to use outside streaming software. You can't go live right in Rumble like you can with YouTube or Facebook. So at any rate, um, I can't personally see the comments on Rumble because I can't have that many feeds going on at the same time. Otherwise, I have a huge lag on on what you guys see and hear from me. So anyway... um, Oh, sorry. I just laugh because I see the Liberty Cause says on my challenge that I, I just said what I'm going to challenge myself to do to be a better mom. He says, you have enough stress to justify swearing. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And sometimes it makes me feel better, but I still want to be a better example. So um, anyway, and this is going to make me sad. I'm going to try not to cry, but uh, Sarah's at Plants from Michigan says, take a break from your day and appreciate your family, even if all you have is pets. Why does that make me sad? Well, 
first of all, I want everybody to have family and not just pets. But uh, the mention of pets makes me sad because we lost Rusty, our longtime um, black lab. We've had him longer than we've had Emma, and uh, we lost him on Friday. So, um, <sighs> okay, how many episodes do I get to cry in in a year? I guess that's the question. Hey, I don't I don't see tears rolling down yet. It doesn't count. All right. So, um, let's see. Did I miss any other? Uh, Okay. So, um, yeah, no, you're good. Stares at plants. Uh, <laughs> just, um, it was a good, good comment I wanted to make. So, uh, the Liberty cause studies show that swearing relieves stress. I don't remember the medical name for this, but it's medically proven. Well, uh, Mr. Liberty cause, I'm not sure that study has any kind of, uh, accuracy or, or, uh, uh, scientific value, but I'm still going to try to do my best to cut it back on the swearing on my end. Um, at any rate, okay, so season two, episode 17, uh, Restore Freedom Weekly. That means we've done a crap ton of these actual episodes for you that come to you live every week. And before that, uh, keep in mind, if you're new to us, because we do have several few thousand new members in the last um, few weeks, keep in mind that if you're new to us, we have a whole host of other videos uh, from 2020 forward. I didn't do any video. I didn't really do much with social media before 2020, but when they shut down normal news from telling the truth about things uh, more than they ever did before, um, I started taking to social media and doing videos and all that. And uh, at any rate, so my first live stream, I believe was um, in May of 2020 and someone else live streamed me speaking on the steps of the Capitol and inside the Capitol of Michigan on April 30th, 2020. But at any rate, um, so this is all still kind of relatively new to me, but keep in mind that all through 2020, 2021, man, we, I was being asked to speak at hundreds of events across the state and across the country. And so quite a few of those. Most of those are up on our YouTube channel. Um, there's some that are just audio that were from radio shows and whatnot, but there's all kinds of information out there for you. So if you have a question that you don't think that we've quite answered yet in season one or season two of Restore Freedom Weekly, do check out all of those resources we have for you on YouTube and Rumble. If, if there's something not on YouTube, check Rumble because sometimes then we were able to put it there when uh, YouTube said no. So at any rate, um, eventually it'll all be available, searchable on our website, um, but we are having to backdate and you know fill in and whatnot. So that's taking us quite a bit of time. Uh, with that being said, one last quick announcement to make. If you are a Restore Freedom app user, you've gone to the Google Play or Apple App Store, you uh, downloaded our Restore Freedom app that has the US Constitution and Michigan Constitution in there, and then some links to some other stuff, keep in mind that there is uh, a little nefarious activity with the developers of that app. And as of this morning, they claim that they've been forgetting to bill me and that uh, we have no revenue from the app anymore. And somehow I owe them for 12 months or more of, anyway, it's a big bunch of nonsense and garbage. That app may be pulled, depends on where they're going with their claims and whatever they're doing. Um, and mine that I was literally making myself is not quite ready yet. So um, I'm not sure what that means, but if you have anything in there that you're relying on, I don't know how that all works. If I can simply transfer it over to like my own server and run it from there. Uh, if you run apps, if you know anything about publishing apps in the app stores and want to help for free because, hey, uh, I, you know, I do this for free and that we don't have the revenue coming in to support uh, paying it. Um, then please let us know. Reach out to contact at restorefreedomkh.com. We would love to have your help because I would love to keep an app going at all times and be able to benefit people. Or if you know nothing about apps, but you would love to be able to see our Constitution app keep going, then uh, they're claiming, you know, it's $50 a month and they're claiming that they forgot to bill me for uh, a whole year in there. And so I'm owing at least $650 as of right now and some nonsense. At any rate, you can always donate specifically to that cause. Go to our website, restorefreedomkh.com slash donate. All right, so without any further ado, this week's topic, 
trials, evidentiary hearings, and motion hearings. What's what? There's a lot in, in a, you know, you've seen a lot of uh, Law and Order episodes or even episodes of Judge Judy or, you know, divorce court or whatever. And so you pick up a little bit and maybe we make a little bit too many extrapolations or assumptions and then we don't really understand what's going on. Um, okay, so, um, see, there's a lot of comments, but anyway, I'm going to start rolling on this. Um, so, Again, you probably have, at least because of TV, if nothing else, a general idea of what a trial hearing, a trial is, what a motion hearing is, but do you really know the differences between them? In today's show, what we're going to do is talk about trials, evidentiary hearings, motion hearings, basically highlighting the differences between them and then focusing on the stages and types of cases in which each of those takes place. So, um, the true or false question of the day that we posted at 10 a.m. this morning and will stay live until 10 p.m. tonight when we post the answer uh, is testimony is taken at most motion hearings, true or false. You can go ahead and answer that on Telegram or YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash restore freedom or t.me slash restore freedom to be able to participate in those polls. So the differences between trials, evidentiary hearings and motion hearings. Well, anytime you're bringing something to court, you go into court, and no matter what the topic, maybe you're hauled into court over a criminal case or a traffic citation, or uh, you have a divorce or somebody broke a contract or whatever. There's an estate that you have to deal with. You are bringing something into court. There's basically two things that are presented. Number one, legal argument. And number two, a factual basis or your evidence, testimony, etc. So you have the law and the facts, and those two things are presented to the court. So with that in mind, what is the purpose of a trial? The purpose of a trial is to secure fair and impartial administration of justice between the parties to an action. So it might be the state is suing you if it's a criminal case, or um, it could be, you know, you are suing your husband if it's a divorce case. Um, but at any rate, um, the purpose to, is to secure a fair and impartial administration of justice. It seeks to ascertain the truth of the matters and issue between the parties. So to figure out what the facts really are, if people contest what the facts are, and to apply the law there, providing a final legal determination. So determining what the facts are, determining what the law is and applying those facts to the law and giving you a final judgment. What's the purpose of an evidentiary hearing? It's actually largely the same. Um, it's used by a judge to make a final decision about one part of a case. So that sounds kind of like a regular motion hearing, but it's a little different. So what is a motion hearing? It's a hearing for the purpose of asking a judge to issue a ruling um, or an order. A motion is typically filed by one side and a notice is sent to the opposing party who responds in writing, typically. Sometimes you raise motions during trial or, well, I won't jump ahead of myself. So let's look at this from an example. Now, again, all three of these kinds of things, they might happen in the criminal context. They might happen in a general civil type of context. They might happen in a family type of context, child protection. I mean, you name it, but this is an example. Okay. So in a divorce case, First, typically comes your motion hearings. Uh, a wife files for it, for a motion to use the marital home while the divorce is pending. She wants to be able to live in their home while the divorce is pending, so she files a motion. Um, so that's happening before the trial. Then, trial. The judge is presented with testimony, evidence, and legal arguments to support what each party is asking for. At the end of the trial, the judge makes a decision or judgment about the house, the cars, items of personal property, custody, child support, all of it. Okay, so again, following this divorce case example, when would you use an evidentiary hearing? Well, um, the easiest example is this is after the judgment has been entered. Let's say these parties got divorced in the year 2020. It's now 2023, the ex-husband has now gotten remarried and he moves to another city. Uh, he files a motion to change custody an evidentiary hearing must be held to determine if the change in custody is in the best interests of the children. So there's a law part to it, 
but there's also a factual side to it. Is this what's best for the kids? And that's an individual determination. So you're going to have to figure out, you know, based on the child's school and community of record and their, you know, religious upbringing and all these other things going on. Okay. So is evidence presented during the court proceeding? And this kind of goes to our true or false question of today. But in general, at a motion hearing, the answer is no. No evidence is presented during the hearing. In most motion hearings, the parties present their legal arguments. You're arguing what the law is as applied to the facts that are already on the record. So you're going to rely on the facts already on the record. Maybe there were depositions taken. Maybe there were affidavits submitted. Maybe, you know, there's already been some evidence somehow presented to the court in some way. Um, otherwise, you could submit affidavits with your motion to support your motion. Um, and you're going to use those to establish the facts to support your request. But the hearing itself, you typically don't have witnesses, you don't have exhibits, you don't have um, evidence presented. Uh, trial. Yes, that's one of the main points of trial is to present evidence. So although there is some legal argument involved, um, and let's think about this, you have an opening statement in a trial. Let's say you're just representing yourself. There's no attorneys just to kind of make my example easier. You're going to argue not at the beginning of a case. At the beginning, it's an opening statement. So you're going to tell the jury or you're going to tell the judge, this is what we're going to prove that these are the facts we're going to show you. And so this, the law then says my client would be not guilty of this crime or my client should get, you know, full custody of the children or whatever the case is. Okay. But then the most of the work is going to be introducing evidence, taking testimony, um, presenting exhibits. So the main purpose of the trial is to present all the facts necessary to make a just determination of the case through testimony, physical evidence, etc. Okay. Um, and then at the end, that's when you have your closing arguments. So that's where you're going to say, we have proven this. And so because of this, I'm arguing that the law says we must win here or we must run, win for these reasons or their argument is bad for these reasons. And so that's at a trial. It's mostly facts that you're dealing with. An evidentiary hearing is um, it's it's there's there's a lot of facts there. It might be a little closer to 50 50 in some circumstances between presenting facts and legal arguments, but it's essentially a mini trial where the legal points are argued, but much of the time is spent on presenting testimony, physical evidence, et cetera, to support the request being made by one of the parties. So when do you bring witnesses? Are you supposed to bring witnesses to testify? Well, at a motion hearing, not in most circumstances. No, because you're going to rely on those affidavits or the other evidence already submitted. Trial, yes, all your witnesses have to be present for your trial. You can't go through trial and then later on go, well, wait a minute. I have another witness I would, you know, that could help support my case. Nope, too late. That was your time is, is during the trial. Evidentiary hearing. Yes, all the wish, wish, I can't even talk today. All of the witnesses to the issue at hand must be present at trial. So if it's an evidentiary hearing and say with a divorce type of case, we're just talking about custody. Maybe it's pre-trial custody determination to figure out what's going to happen and you're with if it's in Michigan, you'd go to the friend of the court uh, and you have a friend of the court referee who's going to be uh, doing a, an evidentiary hearing on custody and parenting time. Um, that is the only issue that you're dealing with. You're not dealing with dividing up the house and the cars and the pensions and all that. So any witnesses that are about the children is all you'd be dealing with in that example of an evidentiary hearing. So what kind of document typically comes from a court at the end of these? Well, at a motion hearing, it's an order of the court. At a trial, you're supposed to get a final judgment from the court. And an evidentiary hearing is typically a final order, at least in some respects, but an order nonetheless. So does the order or judgment resolve the whole case? Is it done with? With a motion hearing where it's mostly the law argued and not facts presented, uh, that order can resolve the whole case. If you file a motion to dismiss and the judge grants your motion to dismiss, that order closes the whole case. 
but most motion hearings are not set up that way. It's a motion to exclude certain evidence or a motion to uh, move the trial or a motion to allow you more time to file a brief or something like that. And so those, even if they're granted, typically are not going to resolve or close out the whole case. Trial. The judgment entered following the trial is generally the final judgment and resolves all of the issues in the case. That's the point of the trial is to get to that final judgment. And so the document that comes out after the trial is supposed to be the final judgment resolving everything in that case, at least until a new issue comes up, um, which in most cases it doesn't. But in cases like family law, things change in our lives. Custody might need to be reevaluated or whatever. So what about an evidentiary hearing? Generally, yes, that is the whole case, at least as to whatever issues were there. So like we said, if it's before your divorce trial and you have an evidentiary hearing just on custody, then some states say, well, that issue, once you get that final determination on custody, it's final, it's done. And the divorce trial itself, that's left for, you know, just who gets the house, the pension, the cars and those kinds of things. But um, that can vary from state to state. But we had an evidentiary hearing in our um, our special magistrate hearing in the city of Ormond Beach on February 27th. We shared that. I don't remember if we live streamed it, but we shared it afterwards at any rate. And that was a very long hearing. That was the entire thing at that level, at the initial trial level. So um, that it was done. Like there's there was no more, you know, there was no full trial to be had later with that same magistrate. So the issues are generally more limited in scope that you have in evidentiary hearings and the order generally resolves all of these new or remaining issues. So what stages of a case, what, do you, what types of cases do you even have these kinds of trials or evidentiary hearings or motion hearings? How do you know when they're gonna be used? Well, when do you have motion hearings? Well, you can certainly have them before trial um, check out our five most common pretrial motions. That was episode 14 from this season. We went through the five most common pretrial motions. You can file motions during trial. And it, typically that's not going to be, um, written motions. If you're during the trial, you might stand up and make a motion. Uh, your honor, I move the court to sequester the witnesses because it looks like they're, you know, acting in concert to try to change their testimony so one can say what the other one said or whatever. So you might um, ask, you know, to sequester witnesses if you see something that necessitates that. If something happens in the course of your trial, now I, I think it was last week we had Acura Amanda on. She was talking about Evan's trial. It's a he's a, a First Amendment auditor and was breaking no laws and have he has these trumped up charges and the trial happened recently and the judge uh, essentially declared a mistrial. And so we're waiting to find out if the prosecutor is going to try to retry it. But at any rate, um, you can make a motion for a mistrial if you think, gosh, you know, something has happened in here that's going to taint the minds of the jury and we can't possibly recover from that. There will not be a fair trial because illegally obtained evidence was, you know, leaked into the proceedings somehow and it wasn't supposed to be. You could file motions after the trial, though. You might file a motion notwithstanding the verdict. Maybe you had a jury trial and the evidence presented, there's no way a reasonable jury could have reached the verdict that they reached. Um, there was not even evidence presented on certain points that were required or something. You can file a motion for the judge to basically vacate the jury's decision because as a matter of law, uh, not every element of the crime was, was established or something like that. Uh, for you can file a motion for a new trial if you think the procedures uh, that happened during the trial were, were so horrendous and violated due process so much that it's needed. Uh, you can file for a motion. Uh, you can file a motion for a stay pending appeal, which is what I've done. I've actually done that several times. Those examples are all on our website on the resources tab. In the Allegan County case, I had filed several different appeals at various times. And now in the Ormond Beach case, I'm in the middle of an appeal. And for both of them, you file uh, a request with the original trial court judge or magistrate saying, can you please push pause on this case proceeding uh, or anything happening until I can appeal this because something legally is wrong. And um, so that's a motion you would file. Um, 
I'm going to finish this thought here and then move on. Uh, I'll catch that comment in just a second. So um, you might also file for relief from judgment. That's also one of the things that I filed um, in this current Ormond Beach case. I filed that motion with the magistrate, that trial court level. Um, I also filed such a motion as an emergency motion uh, with the appellate judge. And that's a hearing we'll actually have this Friday. I want to say it's 830, but it's this Friday. Uh, Lori, I totally forgot. Um, could you make sure that the details of that hearing are all on the purple calendar so that everybody can see? Um, I want to make sure that you guys all have access. It's in person. You can come to the Daytona Beach Courthouse. I'm not sure if they have an online option to be able to view it that way. Um, but uh, if you're anywhere in the area on Friday morning and you'd like to come and support the cause of freedom and following the Constitution and the rule of law, please come out and support us Friday morning at the Daytona Beach Courthouse. But at any rate, that's on our motion for relief from judgment. Um, and then on appeal. So uh, you can file for a motion uh, for a stay pending appeal. There's all kinds of other motions. You can file a motion to strike the other side's document if it's legally deficient or there's something wrong with it. Um, so and we'll talk more about the kinds of motions you can um, raise during trial, after trial, and on appeal uh, in later episodes. But I at least wanted to let you know, it's basically motions can be filed kind of at any time. It just depending on what kind of motion it is depends then on what motion, uh, when you would be filing your motion. So when do you have trials? Well, criminal cases, you have trials. You have to have a trial unless there's a plea. Uh, in civil cases, you have to have a trial unless there's some sort of settlement. So you have a divorce trial. You might have a contract uh, case where you have a trial, an, an intentional tort, maybe somebody, um, I don't know, trespassed on your land or they, um, you know, stole some of your property. You might have a trial on that. Uh, not that public officials ever trespass on land or, you know, attempt to steal your property, um, but they can be sued personally and you can have a trial on that if that's the case. Uh, so when do you have evidentiary hearings? Well, I mentioned earlier those examples of like pretrial motions for custody. Um, maybe you have evidence related issues. Um, so maybe, uh, you know, the one of you wants to present um, evidence from uh, testimony from an expert witness. You might have to have an evidentiary hearing ahead of time to determine whether that witness is um, can properly be deemed an expert. Uh, what kinds, you know, what's the scope of their testimony going to be? What kinds of evidence can they bring in through their testimony? Uh, so you might have an evidentiary hearing before a trial in that sense. Um, you could have a post-judgment custody situation where you're having an evidentiary hearing like we talked about, um, or parenting time or child support changes. You would have a um, evidentiary hearing for that. It's not a whole new trial but it's very similar. It's just on those particular narrowed down issues. Um, many types of administrative law cases are actually handled as ALJ hearings, administrative law judge hearings, um, or magistrate hearings. And so they're actually set up more of like an evidentiary hearing rather than a formal trial. They have a little bit more relaxed rules of evidence usually. Um, and it's more of like, if you think of Judge Judy type cases, it's more of like that situation than it is where the attorneys are all in suits, duking it out for the parties um, in a typical case that you would think of. Um, Post-judgment collection of money owed. So let's say you sued somebody, you got a judgment against them. Maybe they were supposed to have uh, sold a house to you and they didn't and they you know, broke a contract, they owed you money. Or uh, you sold a car to someone and they failed to keep paying on it and they totaled the car. So you got a money judgment against them. Or whatever it, it was a divorce you didn't have kids but you split property and the other spouse was supposed to give you you know your all your money that you were owed for your share of the estate or something and they didn't you might have an evidentiary hearing after the final judgment so that you can take testimony about where that person's working or what kind of assets they have so that you can figure out how to actually collect the money that's owed to you um Hello to Tina. I can't see the whole name, but hello to Tina, who's joining us, and Donald on YouTube. Uh, looks like we have a few people on Facebook as well. Stephen, um, 
thank you for joining us and commenting on YouTube. And we appreciate all of the interaction, guys. So thank you to all of you who are commenting, hitting the like button, share button, subscribe if you haven't already. Um, and I'm going to pause now because I totally forgot to go back to Donald's comment. The people are learning the difference between statutory law and common law. Uh, here's a, I, I know why Lori put that on there. So um, statutory law and common law, for those of you, so many freedom fighters love common law. And you think common law is great. And common law somehow is equal to natural law or something like that. But it's not. Common law, literally, by definition, it is judge-made law. It's where you go to court, you have a case, and a judge issues a judgment or an order. And so they say what they think the law is. That's not law. Because we don't, in our country, in our constitutional republic, there's a separation of powers for a reason. And only the legislative branch at any level of government is allowed to make any kind of laws or regulations affecting the people. Only the legislative branch. So judges and, uh, you know, the judicial branch, none of them are allowed to make laws. So common law is an English thing. It's from England. And it's what we used when we were initially getting established here as a country. But now we have a constitution and we certainly have enough laws on the books at state, local and national levels to account for literally every aspect of our lives. So we need to not think of cases as law because they're not. Case precedent can be valuable, but it's not law. Anyway. Lori, if you didn't like that long tangent, you can blame Lori because she knew that was coming when she put that on the screen. <laughs> so, um, all right. So real life examples, um, motion hearings, trials, and evidentiary hearings. If you are looking for a real life example to be able to figure out, okay, what you just told us the differences between them, but I need to see tangible, you know, examples. I need to see it in real life. Check out the hearing from our July 7th uh, hearing date last summer from the Allegan County case. We um, will share, let's see, um, in fact, Lori or Jeff, um, if either one of you are able to post the link on there, Lori, I sent it to you before the show. Um, at any rate, uh, it is, there's um, a full video of the July 7th, 2022 motion hearing, I filed a crap ton of motions because they kept violating law after law after law. So we didn't actually even get to cover all of my motions, but uh, you can find the motions themselves on our website. Uh, you can go to that resources tab and check it out, <clears throat> um, Allegan County case. Um, and then May 12th, like I said, this Friday, May 12th, 2023, you'll see a motion hearing in the Ormond Beach case. There's not going to be evidence or testimony presented. Uh, there shouldn't be any swearing in because there's no evidence being presented for the court to accept it as true. Um, and we'll kind of talk about that maybe some other time. But there is evidence. Uh, there, there are facts that the court's going to rely on. But at this point, as I talked about last week, Ormond Beach has not challenged any of the facts that I have put forth. Nothing. They haven't challenged it. So court rule says those facts are deemed true. I don't have to prove anything at a later stage in the game because those facts are already deemed true. Now, uh, a real life example trial. I think it, like I said, I think it was last week, if not the week before that we had Acura Amanda join us. And she was asking a lot of questions about the trial or the case that she had pending for her first amendment auditing. Um, but otherwise we talked about Evan's case and his case is still going on and he had a trial and that's the one that there, it was declared to be a mistrial and they're waiting to hear if he's going to yet again, be charged with that and have another trial, but that's an example. And that was, I believe West Palm beach. Um, so, and I think maybe some of that was even online, but, uh, perhaps one of their YouTube channels has more information on that, um, evidentiary hearing. Um, February 27th, 2023, we had our special magistrate hearing here in the Ormond Beach case about my favorite favors, pavers, privacy fence and shipping containers. And <clears throat> that was a longer hearing, but that just kind of shows you, uh, you know, they evidentiary hearings can be, you know, days long. It just depends on what the issues are and how many facts need to be clarified or presented. But those are three real life examples. Um, or, or examples of each of those types of three types of um, 
hearings, motions, and evidentiary hearings. Now, why is any of this relevant? I'm not going to go over all of these with you, but due process. In order for you to really be able to understand the court process and participate fully in your own case, your own defense, your own uh, lawsuit that you're filing, whatever, to protect your own interests, you need to be able to understand what types of hearings do what. And so therefore you can participate. You need to know, is this one I need to bring a witness to? Is this one that I'm just arguing the law? Because why prepare a whole big thing about the law if you're supposed to have witnesses and testimony, right? You got to know, you should be practicing on how to do direct and cross exam um, or vice versa. <clears throat> so anyway, the biggest thing is due process. Due process of law, of course, guaranteed to us um, by the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, um, as well as in every state constitution, such as Florida Article 1, Section 9, and Michigan Article 1, Section 17. Um, I did mention all the, um, you know, the cases, <clears throat> uh, the Allegan County case and the Ormond Beach case, and you can um, go to our resources, uh, resources page of our website, uh, restorefreedomkh.com slash resources, to be able to see, I think, the first two links that you can get to from cases. Um, and like I said, <coughs> our Ormond Beach case is still going, and it's already cost thousands of dollars for us to get the transcripts and pay court filing fees and everything else. So if you'd like to help us keep that fight going, not just for the people in Ormond Beach or Volusia County, um, or even in all of Florida, it's there are issues that are happening all across the U.S., and I want to be able to pave the way for those public officials to be held accountable when they step across that line, they step over their authority that they were given for that office, and they violate my constitutionally and statutorily protected rights, because they're not just doing it to me, they're doing it to everyone in different respects, in different areas, um, at different times, but they're doing it a lot, and they need to be stopped. So if you want to help us in that fight, you can go to givesendgo.com slash savehenryhome. Or if you want to be able to help us hold the Allegan public officials accountable who violently arrested me and then illegally and unconstitutionally prosecuted me for almost two years on a case that didn't even legally have the right to be charged in the first place, please help me by funding that. We're already still, you know, thousands of dollars in the hole for having to file all the appeals and get the transcripts and pay for copies of the DVDs because we weren't allowed to have the media there or the public, you name it. Um, so if you'd like to help us fight for freedom in that sense and pave the way for wrongdoers to be held accountable, you can do that as well. You can go to restorefreedomkh.com slash donate and be able to donate for that as well. Um, with that being said, um, before I get to any questions, I want to remind you that if you have any, uh, you know, any interest in developing more of an understanding, please check out our way to get involved challenge tomorrow. And uh, of course, on Thursday, this whole slideshow will be shared as part of the Constitution segment, 10 minute or less recap video. And Friday, of course, we will have our Friday Freedom Fighting Tools available to you to help encourage you and empower you in your own freedom fight. Um, and let's see here. Lori is, aha, so you, you're, you appeared in video. Is there anything? Okay, it looks like you're throwing one on there. Um, Stares at Plants on YouTube says, when does a judge rule from the bench? My case seems to have the judge suggesting options to the attorney of the defense while making me, the plaintiff, produce my own avenues. Um, a judge can rule from the bench in, in many circumstances. Um, in fact, because judges sometimes can take a case under advisement for too long, uh, court rules have been changing Sometimes even state laws have been changing or being added to require judges to issue rulings within a reasonable period of time. In fact, um, if you look at my um, uh, emergency motions that I filed with the appellate court in the case, so my motions that are being heard at the motion hearing this Friday, those motions at the beginning are kind of explaining you know, why the circuit court or the, the appeals court in this case, uh, which is the circuit court, why it has jurisdiction. 
And as part of that, I explained that I initially went to the special magistrate and brought my request to him because that's what the court rule tells me to do, but that he failed to ever, he's never responded, not once, not even to say I've received it, nothing. He didn't deny me. He didn't grant the motions, nothing. He just didn't respond. And so I said to the circuit court, listen, this, you know, they have to issue orders within a reasonable period of time. And he supposedly gave the city of Ormond Beach authorization to come on my property, steal my privacy fence, steal my pavers, steal my shipping containers, destroy my real estate, my homestead in the process, and then charge me for them doing that. He supposedly gave them permission to do that starting on April 10th. So by April 3rd, I was saying, listen, I'm not waiting for this judge to correct the error of his ways. I'm going above his head to the next level and asking that court for help. And so anyway, there is a rule. It doesn't say what that reasonable period of time is, but I was able to explain why if I waited any longer, it wouldn't be uh, reasonable because then the next court, the circuit court wouldn't have had time to take action. As it is, I literally got the notice hours into the very day they were supposed to come that my, my at least my temporary order uh, protecting my property was finally issued. So, um, okay, uh, stairs at plants. I read about abusive process due to the court not holding evidentiary hearings to decide a matter. Can Catherine explain? Wait, where'd it go? We're going to go. I didn't quite get the question. Um, So the question is, I read about abuse of process due to the court not holding an evidentiary hearing to decide a matter. Can Catherine explain? That is, that's such an open question. I have zero context or background to know what was going on in the cases where that was happening. Um, but basically in some situations, so for example, one of the, one of the most common examples I have seen in cases at say the court of appeals level is where a a mom or a dad was again, after their divorce judgment was long entered, they got remarried. They wanted to move to, you know, with their spouse to another state or across the state or something. And it would totally and drastically affect how custody looked in their arrangement with the kids. Maybe they shared 50-50 parenting time. And now with the distance between them that one parent wants, uh, it would mean that one parent or the other would have to have most of the parenting time. Um, A judge in that situation, and this is the Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction Act, UCCJA, was adopted in large part in almost every single uh, uh, state in the country, although each state, of course, makes their own nuances and changes. But at any rate, in general, this Uniform uh, Child Custody Jurisdiction Act, um, it's basically if if you want to determine uh, initial custody or change or modify parenting time or custody, you have to determine what is in the best interests of the children And you have to do that through the presentation of evidence, testimony. Sometimes it's just both parents testifying. Sometimes the kids testify, testify. Sometimes counselors or teachers or uh, pastors or community members will testify. Sometimes uh, additional family members will come and testify. You have a lot of different uh, people that might be needing to testify about the best interests of the children in a given case. And so with... um, with that being said, um, in those situations where uh, the court determined there was an abusive process by uh, the judge or the magistrate, it was probably because the, that there was a similar situation where it was like custody or parenting time and the court was required to take testimony and hear full evidence before uh, granting or denying a motion. And um, so that is, is one of the most common things that happens, um, but it can happen. There can be an abusive process in almost every single kind of case. So it's really hard to give you a blanket type of answer, but that's a good example. Um, another question on YouTube, what if my local court rules won't let me record? Should I request to record? Uh, check out if you have a similar question, especially if you're in Michigan, but this in general applies all across the country. If you um, 
need to record a hearing, especially if you're a party to a case and you want to record it for purposes of later appeal or to, for whatever reason, you have the right to that. It's public. It's not owned. That hearing and what happens inside of that hearing is not owned by the judge or by the court. It's a public thing. Uh, check out my due process appeal documents that I filed in the Allegan County case, and then specifically check out the motion hearing that I had on, um, I want to say it was September 2nd, 2022, after my case was dismissed, I filed a motion to clarify that I'm now able to finally uh, share all the videos from the hearings with the public and the judge ridiculously, see, I'm trying not to swear, ridiculously denied my motion, made fun of all of our efforts to restore freedom and educate people and mocked the freaking constitution, mocked it. So um, at any rate, that's going to be part of my lawsuit against him. But um, all the legal arguments for why uh, he has no authority to stop me from recording or sharing recordings in public um, are in both of those documents, the procedural due process appeal documents that I have on our website for the Allegan County case, procedural due process appeal, and in the motion documents I filed, I want to say I filed them in August of 2022, and then we finally had the hearing in September of 2022. I believe those are the right dates. So all of those documents are available on our website, and you'll be able to see court rules and um, Supreme Court cases, U.S. Supreme Court cases, you name it, um, it's talked about in there. So um, stairs up plants, you're killing me here. Um, <laughs> so... The, the next question, is there a good time to file a motion to remove the judge? I'm not an expert on that because I really don't believe that that works. Um, the jaded sense is most judges are either corrupt or inept. So in that sense, what does it matter if you have one corrupt judge and you trade out for another corrupt judge? Or if you have one inept judge that doesn't know anything about the law involved, and then you get another one that doesn't know anything about the law involved. Um, now, not, obviously not all judges are like that. I said, it's the jaded view, but from my personal and professional experience of hundreds, thousands of hearings in court and hearings and trials and whatever in the last 20 years, I could tell you that I don't think I've ever filed a motion to remove a judge because it's just not likely to pr produce a good result. So I'm not, I'm not the best, best person to ask that. If question. there's a if you know there's a conflict of interest and the judge doesn't remove himself, is that better to do it because of that conflict of interest? Yeah. Or so for you know example, I mean? if there, so I want to say when I was in Midland, Midland, Michigan, um, and I had just opened my own practice there. Um, at the time I was opening my practice to, um, well, one, one new circuit court judge was just appointed and he actually came out of private practice. So he was at a bigger, you know, one of the predominant uh, law firms in the city. <clears throat> if he, if there was a case um, when he was recently appointed, if there was a case that went in front of him that, you know, automatically just got assigned to him because there were only two circuit court judges in Midland at the time. I think they might have added another one, but at any rate, there were only two. So 50% chance he would get a case, right? Um, if it was, if one of the parties was being represented by his old law firm, um, in many, in many situations, that meant he needed to basically recuse himself and trade off with the other circuit court judge for the, them to take that case because he was too closely related to it. There, there would have been at least a perceived conflict of interest. And so if he didn't, then um, one side or the other could make you know a motion to get him off the case, um, but um, you know if from my recollection, I'm not even sure any of those motions were ever even filed because I think he was pretty good about taking himself off cases where there was an appearance of impropriety. There, he's no longer a judge. He went back into private practice. I think he's Warner Norcross or something, and I think he's even out of the Grand Rapids office or started a Grand Rapids office. Um, even though he's in Midland, when I know him, but at any rate. On, on the flip side of that, um, 
if if he presents that he has that conflict the either side could approve that he stays is that a thing if he's presenting hey there's this it depends on how interest. it's done so there's different procedures in different states and for different levels of court <clears throat> but if if a judge you know let's say judge john smith says listen uh i, I want any you know has a hearing and lets the parties know hey listen um it's come to my attention that um i actually used to represent the father of the plaintiff in this case and um and it was many years ago it was about a contract deal this is now a divorce trial uh and you know it had nothing to directly deal with the plaintiff but I did represent his father and it was many years of litigation at any rate i didn't initially make the connection now i've been made aware of this so i'm letting you guys know about it if either party has an objection to me staying on the case um that's fine we can reassign and get a new judge we haven't made it too far in this case so there wouldn't be a lot of redoing of procedures um so you know i'm letting the parties know um it could be a situation like that again it depends on the jurisdiction but um, you know, there's supposed to be a little bit of, of wiggle room for situations that are not clear cut, you know, conflict of interest or something, but just a potential. What if both sides say, you know what, we think you're the fairest judge uh, around or gosh, our, our area is so small, we'd actually be having to bring in a judge from a totally different county. Uh, and it's just going to add a lot of time and expense to the case. We really don't want to do that. You know, we understand what the potential risks are and we just want to move forward. It, it could be something like that. Um, John on YouTube says on. I, th I think he's saying there's case precedents and it probably autocorrected to case precedent. <laughs> okay, so on their, on the their right to enter your property, case precedent has I, I'm sorry, John, can you reword your question? Because I'm, I'm struggling to know what the question, if there's a question in there, I'm struggling to know what the question is. So um, if you could reword that and let me know, that would be great. Um, is there anything else? Um, this is a shout out to Susan. I was just going to throw that one on there. Uh, thank you for joining us, Susan, on Facebook. Uh, she says, Allegan has so much to hide. Um, she prays for our case and for the benefit of freedom because tyranny will not rule. Not in our constitutional republic. We cannot let tyranny stand. Um, so um, that looks like we got all the questions. Um, I didn't see any comments coming in from Twitter or LinkedIn or, like I said, Rumble. Um, usually Twitter and LinkedIn comments do pull through, though. So if for some reason you've been commenting on those platforms live and you're not getting a response, we're not ignoring you. Uh, we just don't see your comments today. So <clears throat> there, there we go. We clarified. Okay. So John on YouTube clarifies his question. Isn't there case precedent uh, the right to enter your property in other states? Still don't know what, you're, what you mean by that. Um, I, I think I think there has been times the the Supreme Courts in various states have said that um, they've had i think they've incorrectly said they had the right to enter the property and so that's kind of where he's going is is there really is there any true case precedents if somebody doesn't have a lawful warrant and i stress the word lawful warrant to come on the property is there any circumstance that would justify them just coming in and onto the property i think that might be a better way to ask the question um, let me put it this way. There's case precedent out there that pretty much says everything on any subject. I mean, our country has been established long enough that there have been enough cases making it at least to some level of appellate court in one of the 50 states or in the federal district courts or federal appeals courts or U.S. Supreme Court. Somewhere in all that, there's a lot of courts and a lot of cases over a lot of years. And so there is bound to be case precedent out there, whether it's still good or not, uh, is a different story. But there's bound to be cases out there that say just about everything. 
you, on any given point, you can probably find case precedent that says, you know, the sky is blue. And then you can find a case precedent that says, no, the sky is pink. Um, typically speaking, uh, you know, especially if it's all in the same jurisdiction, one of them might have been overruled by the other or what have you, or there was just somehow an explanation of how there are different circumstances. But at any rate, um, yeah, so there's probably case precedent out there that says the government has the right to step on your property uh, without, you know, whatever. But here's the thing you have involved in these cases, not only a Fourth Amendment issue against unreasonable searches and seizures, especially without a warrant, which the Ormond Beach uh, Neighborhood Improvement Division never even attempted to get a warrant. Uh, but you also have a takings issue because they're they're literally trying to come and take my physically take it, remove it, destroy it. But on top of that, when they come onto my property, our property rights are such that you are when you own your own land, you have your homestead here in the United States somewhere. You have the right to exclusive use of your property, you and your family. So, you know, me and my husband, we have the right to use and enjoy our property exclusive from anybody else. Nobody else can just come and use it. Now, maybe there's an easement recorded uh, when we bought it that would be part of that, but there wasn't. Our property has no easements. Um, but that would be an example where the, we might have shared the, the right to use with somebody else, but we did not. And the city of Ormond Beach has no right to use or be on our property. Uh, and so they can't just come on our property when they feel like it. Um, and so if they're preventing us from fully and solely using our property, uh, then that's a taking. In addition to the actual way that they plan to physically remove our property and take it, um, the other sense when they're just trying to use our property or be on our property, it's also a taking. And then just, I'm gonna throw it out there um, because they're trying to say that we have to pay all kinds of, you know, exorbitant fees. And, and now they're claiming that just, um, you know, so far that if we want this uh, appeal to be able to continue, the city is now arguing that we should have to pay $14,000 of a bond. Really? Um, that's an Eighth Amendment violation. Excessive fines. There's no justification for that. There's no amount of money. Uh, it, it, that amount of money is not remedial in nature to resolving whatever kind of perceived harm that they're claiming I, I made. So at any rate, um, Jane Locke, our dear friend from Michigan uh, and my personal security guard from the militia, I believe the only time they can enter your property without a warrant is when they witness the commission of a crime or in exigent circumstances like an emergency. Um, yeah, and even then it depends on, you know, what kind of crime and things of that nature, because for example, let's say that it was a crime to park your car in a parking lot of a polling place on election day, if you're not voting there at that time, <laughs> let's say that actually was a crime. It's not criminal trespass, but let's say it was an election crime they wouldn't be able to you know come on to um whatever that's an example that they'd be able to come on the property but at any rate if, if it's something where you know there's nothing there's no um exigent circumstances of you know harm being um you know irreparable harm taking place like you know i'm beating somebody to death or whatever i'm setting something on fire if there's not something like that then they need to go and apply for a warrant and have that warrant, even if they're seeing a crime taking place. I mean, so if I'm, if, if I stand, if I'm on my own property and I'm burning the American flag, my understanding is the United States code, there's a flag code that does not allow you to do that. I haven't read that, but um, I heard that to be a thing. So let's assume for the sake of argument, that's a thing. If there's a federal statute that says it's a crime to burn the United States flag and I'm on my own property burning the flag, they can't come onto my property because they see me committing that crime they have to go get a warrant because I'm not doing something that's imminently causing some sort of danger to somebody else. So not that I would burn the flag. I'm just saying that was an example. Um, okay. So did I address I think all? that catches it up. 
Sweet. So before anybody else has any more questions, <laughs> um, but to, to be able to round out our day, uh, I just want to thank you for joining us today. I want to encourage you again to check out that Wednesday Way to Get Involved Challenge tomorrow, the Thursday, 10 minute or less Constitution segment recap video where we will share the link for the slideshow that we had today, as well as our Friday Freedom Fighting Tools. Don't forget to check back on Saturday for a video and a link to be able to support us in some way, shape or form in our fight for freedom, because everything we do here relies on donations of one way or another. We don't get paid by anyone to do this work. So every dollar, um, every $10, every hundred or thousand that you might be able to donate does honestly and truly make a difference. And we're relying on you to help us with that so we can keep all of these things going. Um, and join us on Friday. I almost forgot. I was like, there's one more thing. Join us on Friday if you can. Uh, in Daytona, I think, like I said, I think it's at 8.30 in the morning in the Daytona courthouse. The details will be put on our calendar, which is right on our website. So you can have a vocation full-time, et cetera. So check that out. It's on our emergency hearing. Should be interesting. It should also be very short. Um, and uh, thank you to the support from people like Stairs at Plants on YouTube. Uh, and everybody else who is interacting and supporting one way or another. We really appreciate it. All right, guys, thank you so much. Have a great day.